We are resending my co-authored piece on the ethical, moral, intellectual, economic, and financial bankruptcy of non-Bitcoin crypto and DeFi on Impossible Things Before Breakfast, written six months ago. I will start with the conclusion. My piece failed. Nothing has changed. DeFi-driven blow-ups have continued. And therefore, in the strongest possible terms, I repeat with humility, do not invest in non-Bitcoin crypto. Do not invest in non-Bitcoin DeFi. This is why Nidig is a Bitcoin company. Always has been, always will be. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we've got a piece from Nidig from Stone Ridge Holdings um, that uh, uh, Ross Stevens does the intro to it. And then Greg, uh, Greg Cipollaro, hopefully I'm saying that right. It's prob- I'm probably butchering it. But um, he has uh, written a piece on Alameda and FTX and essentially the order of events, everything that has gone on uh, without a whole lot of speculation, just kind of like if you were curious as to what happened. Um, I mean, I get into a little bit of speculation afterward in the guy's take. Um, and I think I said it was going to be a short guy's take. It was not a short guy's take. I don't even know. Why do I even try? It just it, it's a waste. But anyway. This is really good if you are trying to get caught up on everything that's going on. Um, And uh, there are a number of different speculations and rumors that are happening right now that I didn't really dig a lot into, but I did at least cover them and will probably readdress them soon. And then I kind of want to just talk about, I mean, Greg hits a number, uh, hits a little bit of this as well, and so does Ross um, in his intro, but I wanted to talk a little bit about what this means for the space and what I think the short-term to mid-term future might look like and how to protect yourself, you know? Like, the rules aren't really a whole lot different, but, man, if there was ever a time that they shine, these these are the times. So, really quick, I want to talk about the sponsors that have protected me and my little Bitcoin ecosystem through this absolute disaster of a situation in crypto. And they are the Bitcoin-only Swan Bitcoin, who lets me automatically stack and automatically withdraw to my keys, and who have, uh, and in fact, the auto-withdrawal went through just like yesterday or the day before. So I never really have any substantial Bitcoin on any custodian. How about that? And Swan Private will even teach you, will show you how to hold your own keys, will be there to answer your questions, to help you get your business, your trust, your other financial accounts tied to Bitcoin and invested in Bitcoin, you got to check them out. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy. And then for your fiat purposes, you're going to want the Fold debit card. You're going to want the Fold experience. This is how you get sats back on everything in your fiat life. When the price is where it is now, man, you get a lot of sats back. Just, you know, I go out and buy my coffee. It's so nice to get that 1%, 2%. Oof, it stacks so fast. Check them out and get 5,000 free sats with my link, guyswan.com slash fold. And then last, you're going to keep all that crap safe. You're going to keep all those precious sats on your cold card. On any one of the amazing CoinKite Bitcoin hardware security devices that let you hold your own keys securely. The best time to hold your own keys and withdraw from exchanges was yesterday. The second best time is right now. Do it. 5% off with code Bitcoin Audible. Link in the show notes. With that, let's get into today's read. And it's titled Through the Looking Glass The FTX and Alameda Saga by Ross Stevens and Greg Cipollaro. A message from our founder. Today, as a preamble to NIDIG Head of Research Greg Cipollaro's outstanding analysis below of the predictable events that transpired over the past few days, 
we are resending my co-authored piece on the ethical, moral, intellectual, economic, and financial bankruptcy of non-Bitcoin crypto and DeFi on Impossible Things Before Breakfast, written six months ago. I will start with the conclusion. My piece failed. Nothing has changed. DeFi-driven blow-ups have continued. Therefore, in the strongest possible terms, I repeat with humility, do not invest in non-Bitcoin crypto. Do not invest in non-Bitcoin DeFi. This is why Nidig is a Bitcoin company. Always has been, always will be. Over the last few years, we have had the, quote, opportunity to, quote, partner with Three Arrows, BlockFi, Celsius, FTX, and more. However, at Stone Ridge and Nidig, far from a mistake-free firm comprised of mistake-free people, including and especially me, we seek to think from first principles. When you cannot satisfy yourself with straightforward answers to straightforward questions, such as, how do you make money? Or, why are you positive the GBTC ARB will always be positive, and what happens to your business if you're wrong? Or, why do you think it's appropriate for us to lend you money with less collateral than what's required for U.S. Treasury repo, or with no collateral at all? Or, why do some of your external investments come from one entity and other investments come from another? Run. Do not walk away. In addition, we have had countless, quote, opportunities to, quote, invest in, quote, crypto yield projects that were momentarily enormously profitable, yet so obviously destined to blow up and so obviously violations of U.S. security laws. Hard pass. Life is too short to do anything other than partner with people you like, trust, and would be ferociously proud to be together with in a foxhole when the bullets are flying. Risk Management At Stone Ridge and Nidig, our most important job is risk management, the safety of our clients' wealth and our own. Every single one of us works in risk management. Whether or not we choose a career in risk management, it chooses us. Earlier in my career, I learned risk management lessons the very hard way. I had far too much confidence in my quantitative and my mental models, and the results were disastrous. Those times of my life were the most painful, but also the luckiest. I never would have learned any real risk management lessons from a book. As an aside, I also learned I was married to the right woman. After one particularly bad risk mismanagement result about 25 years ago, we could no longer afford our apartment and had to move out ASAP. As a man and as a provider and the sole source of income in the family, I felt devastated, emasculated, and worried what my wife would think of me. I'll never forget what happened next. She came home the following day having viewed 15 tiny studios, found the perfect one, and moved us in with a smile. The ensuing two years of life in that tiny room were among our happiest together. Right now, the markets are melting down. The causes are myriad, and not for this note. Rather, I want to make you aware of what to expect and give you an assignment if you work at Stone Ridge or Nidig and make a request if you do not. What to expect In times like these, character emerges. Unfortunately for so many, it won't be pretty. They will desperately cling to ephemeral notions of their past status and lash out in various ways. As a form of psychological self-protection, you will see people be arrogant, aggressive, short-tempered, and pinball from topic to topic. Their actions will create and exacerbate their own fragility. Professionally, it will be very easy to take financial advantage of these people. If you work at Stone Ridge and Nidig, you are forbidden from doing so. If you do not work at Stone Ridge or Nidig, please, please, please do not. Your Assignment my request, if you do not work at Stone Ridge or Nidig. Instead, your job right now is to be three very specific things. Focused, humble, and kind. Do these with vigor and create and fortify our or your firm's anti-fragility. Today, reach out to someone hurting from the markets and just check in. Your goal is not give to get. Rather, just give. Expect nothing in return. Just give. Because of my painful risk management past, at Stone Ridge Holdings Group, parent company of our five subsidiaries including Nidig, I always raised money from our firm when we didn't have to. 
2016, 2018, 2020, 2022, and we still have all of it. That's survival lesson number one, and so important it's worth repeating. Raise money when you do not have to. As a result, the snow in our snow globe is unstirred. Not only are we extraordinarily liquid and extraordinarily well capitalized, Stone Ridge Holdings Group is having a record year, and 2023 is setting up to blow away 2022. Our team is proud of the incredible forward opportunity we have created together for our clients. How did this happen? Since 2012, we've been building our portfolio of business arcs ahead of the central bank-driven no-yield flood. Having recklessly submerged the world in fiat fragility, the levees are breaking as yields now rise. The embodiment of our risk management philosophy and flood preparation is the 1010 portfolio in Stone Ridge Asset Management. 10 long-term applications, each 10% weight, each with a persistent, pervasive, and intuitive risk premium, each uncorrelated with traditional markets, each uncorrelated with each other, each anti-fad. We've built each of these franchises starting small, brick by brick, and none have been easy or obvious along the way. Catastrophe reinsurance, non-catastrophe reinsurance, alternative lending, market insurance, single-family rentals, drug royalties, Bitcoin, art, natural gas. Nine so far. We're getting there. At our opponent's slight move, the 1010 moves first, a portfolio of business arcs already in place. It's extraordinary diversification harmonizing with its quiet humility, structurally anticipating the unanticipatable, keeping our snow unstirred. To be clear, the snow will return for us someday, and when that happens, our arms will remain locked together in mutual support, as they are right now. Amidst attention-grabbing headlines this week, that will be talked about for decades, I want to bring your attention to one far more profound and awe-inspiring non-headline. Every 10 minutes, a new Bitcoin block was produced. Every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes. Bitcoin cares about SBF or CZ or me, or you, as much as gravity does, or the honey badger. While Stone Ridge is just one small firm and we can only do so much, it has always been our mission to help the vulnerable and the unprepared. This includes our own decision to opt out of the intrinsic corruption of the fiat monetary system. It also includes our relentless drive every day to accelerate access for all 8 billion of us to decentralized non-state money, Bitcoin, powering personal sovereignty, fostering political freedom, enhancing human flourishing. At Stone Ridge, we innovate to prepare for an uncertain future, focused on our mission, financial security for all. Ross L. Stevens, founder and CEO of Stone Ridge Holdings Group, founder and executive chairman of NIDIG. Through the Looking Glass, the FTX and Alameda Saga by Greg Cipollaro. All right, let's pause right here for our sponsor and we'll jump into the second half of this. If you're not stacking sats during these amazing discount days, you're missing out and you're also using fiat. You're not getting paid Bitcoin to use fiat. That's what you get with the fold card. I have the fold debit card. It has been my main driver for quite some time now. I actually even pay my mortgage and things through it. All my bills go through this thing and it's incredible how much you can stack. I've been, particularly at these prices, I'm hitting about a million sats a month. I mean, it varies a little bit, you know, depending on, you know, essentially my expenses, but all my business expenses, all my personal expenses, everything, everything that I can possibly get goes through the fold debit card. And I get a base 1% back and I get to spin the wheel for 1.5%, 2%. I mean, literally upwards to winning an entire Bitcoin. And uh, it wasn't even that long ago that I actually won, I think it was 50 bucks just outright on like a small purchase, which is awesome. If you are in the US, you have got to check out Fold. Plus they have gift cards to tons of major merchants. And actually they have for the premium card holders, you get 5% back on Amazon gift cards for the month of November up to $1,000. So consider if you're going to spend $1,000 on Amazon for Christmas presents and you want to go ahead and do, you want to go ahead and get the gift cards in November, you'll actually get 
50 bucks back in sats and the premium card only costs you 10 bucks a month. So something to think about. And you can actually get 5,000 sats just for, just for making an account, just for going to the app through my super special awesome link at guyswan.com slash fold. That is G-U-Y-S-W-A-N-N. Put an extra N on that bird, dot com slash fold. And you'll be elated at all the stats you'll find on the other end. Link in the show notes. All right, with that, let's jump back in to today's read. Through the Looking Glass, the FTX and Alameda Saga. Sudden collapse of Alameda and FTX has the industry searching for answers. This week, in a stunning turn of events, FTX, the upstart exchange that was the product of crypto wonderkind Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, suffered financial setbacks that caused systematic risk to ripple through the industry. The news, which shocked even the most astute crypto observers, came only days after a Coindesk article outlined Alameda Research's balance sheet, a prop trading firm founded by SBF with close ties to FTX. It is important to note that this news story is still in motion, and our understanding of the situation relies on the combination of public discourses, media reports, blockchain data, and exchange analysis. While we can only infer what happened behind the scenes, the reality of the situation is likely known to a small number of people, and it is unknown when we will get a full and truthful accounting of the situation, if ever. Coindesk article calls into question Alameda balance sheet. Late last Friday morning, Ian Allison at Coindesk published an article detailing Alameda Research's balance sheet. The trading firm, also founded by SBF, has been noted for its trading prowess as well as its VC investments and support for Solana and its ecosystem. The Coindesk article highlighted the perhaps too close relationship between Alameda and FTX, something that was frequently suspected in the crypto industry. The heavy concentration in FTT also cast doubt on Alameda's financial position. While all the details of the balance sheet weren't disclosed, we have done our best to recreate the balance sheet from the details disclosed in the article, also noting that it is now over four months old. Our calculations show that at the time Alameda was not heavily indebted on a debt-to-equity basis, but $5.8 billion of its assets, nearly 90% of its equity value, were tied to its ownership of FTT. Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison tweeted that the details outlined by Coindesk were just for one of their corporate entities and did not account for over $10 billion of assets held elsewhere. It is unclear to us what or where those assets are, but given the swiftness of Alameda's and FTX's collapses, perhaps those assets were inaccessible for liquidity reasons. Like many tokens issued by exchanges, the largest of which is Binance's BNB, FTT can be posted as collateral for trading services, unlock discount trading services for holders of a certain size, and capture revenue from FTX's trading fees through a burn mechanism. But it is important to understand, the value of FTT is entirely based on its issuer, FTX. The fact that Alameda owns 73% of the supply of FTT, based on our best guess at total supply, at the time, shows how closely tied Alameda and FTX were. Sam Bankman and his cache of companies were well known as being supporters of Solana and its ecosystem. It is no surprise then that Alameda owned a large position in Sol, though the position was smaller in size both in terms of dollars and in terms of the outstanding supply of Sol compared to its FTT position. Given the connection to SBF and sell pressure on Sol, Seoul's precipitous drop of over 60% since Friday has not been surprising. Binance makes moves on FTT tokens. Following the balance sheet leak on Sunday morning, Changpeng Zhao, or CZ, Binance's founder and CEO, posted a tweet that would eventually result in the downfall of FTT, and with it, FTX and Alameda. The tweet said that Binance owned $2.1 billion worth of FTT and Binance USD in connection with an early investment in FTX and that it would be liquidating that position. 
Before the tweet, FTT had been trading at about $24, but dropped sharply to $21.50 on the news before recovering to $23. In one of the more distressing communications of the entire episode, in addition to SBF's now-deleted tweets that everything at FTX was fine, Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison responded 15 minutes later to CZ's tweet, offering to buy his entire FTT position out at $22. But it seems as if CZ had already made up his mind, having already transferred 23 million FTT tokens to Binance for sale even before he tweeted his intention to sell. CZ would take to social media a few hours later and clarify the move with FTT as part of their risk management process and in reflection of their experience with the Luna fiasco. Binance was an early investor in Luna and owned the token from its highs to its demise without selling. Binance didn't intend to make the same mistake with FTT. Within CZ's text were some words that stoked concerns about Binance's true motivations. Quote, But we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs, which made the move to sell FTT seem like this was a bomb lobbed at a competitor rather than risk management. Outsiders can only speculate what has been going on behind closed doors. But based on this text, it seems like Binance was unhappy about how it was being portrayed to regulators or legislators by FTX. FTT crashes. FTX slows withdrawals. Even amidst a potential wave of market sales coming from Binance, the price of FTT had held above the $22 level through Sunday and into Monday evening. Perhaps until then, Alameda had been standing on the bid side, making good on its offer to buy FTT at $22. But clearly, at about 9.30 p.m. Eastern Monday evening, something changed, and the price of FTT began to fall rapidly. Given the size of FTT, $3 billion in free float market cap, much of which was already owned by Alameda, in comparison to Alameda's supposed balance sheet of over $24 billion, it is a surprise that the prop firm could not buy the entire supply of FTT trading. How such a small asset took down such a supposedly large enterprise remains one of the many mysteries of this event. Several hours later, at about 3 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday morning, FTX's wallet address began to dramatically slow withdrawals, according to blockchain data. Reports began to trickle in from social media shortly after that regarding the halting of withdrawals. According to tweets from SBF after the fact, FTX processed $5 billion worth of withdrawals beginning on Sunday. It appears as though the balance sheet scare at Alameda resulted in a run on the bank at FTX, and it was unable to satisfy client demands. Binance steps in, then steps away. On Tuesday morning, FTX appeared to find the white knight it severely needed, although it would come in a form that no one expected, Binance. The non-binding deal was still subject to Binance's due diligence, as it appears to have been consummated via a phone call and little else. Still, despite the news, the price of FTT began to freefall, from nearly $20 following the news of the acquisition, to $3 by mid-afternoon. It seems as if investors either didn't trust the deal to close, or didn't know how FTT would be treated in the event of the acquisition. By Wednesday afternoon, the deal crumbled as Binance announced that it would not pursue a potential acquisition of FTX. Reports in the media suggested that FTX was searching to raise $8 billion in capital from new investors to replenish customer funds. If it were unable to do so, it might file for bankruptcy, concluding one of the swiftest and darkest moments in crypto's history. Root Causes and Knock-On Effects from the information available, it is unclear what specifically caused the catastrophic collapse of FTX in such a short period. The proximate cause was the $6 billion in redemptions requested by depositors in 72 hours, but the fact that FTX couldn't redeem depositors in full indicates they had done something else with customer deposits. According to a recent Reuters article, $4 billion of customer deposits were lent out to Alameda, following losses sustained in the market volatility of second quarter. 
the collateral posted by Alameda for borrowing in part consisted of FTT tokens, which evaporated in value, meaning FTX could have taken significant losses on its loans to Alameda. Making matters worse, if FTX called the FTT tokens posted as collateral by Alameda and sold them in the market to close out its loan, it would further push down the price of FTT, exactly what it did not want. This series of events highlights precisely why you need exogenous capital, an error that echoes from the Luna UST fiasco a few months back. A system is vulnerable to a circular reference death spiral like this one when the capital base is entirely reliant on the system itself. The industry is presently in a state of high alert. Like in the aftermath of the Luna UST collapse, investors were keenly attuned to other counterparty risks that may arise because of the collapse of FTX. Galaxy Digital, $77 million. CoinShares, $30 million. Coinbase, $15 million. Genesis Trading, $7 million. And Multicoin, 10% of its master fund, all have disclosed exposure to Alameda or FTX. It appears that Genesis had credit exposure to Alameda, while the other entities had trading balances stuck in the FTX exchange. It is unknown who else might be affected because of this washout, but it might just be narrowly contained to FTX, individuals and institutions with deposits on FTX, Alameda, and whoever else lent to Alameda. One of the unfortunate knock-on effects may be that the lifelines extended to BlockFi by FTX and Voyager by Alameda may be in trouble. Although we have heard no updates, we can confirm that NIDIG has no exposure and has never had any exposure to Alameda, FTX, or Binance. What is next? Certainly, the industry is amidst some soul-searching. The fact that two well-known entities have collapsed in a matter of days has left many shocked in searching for answers. Anecdotally, the frustration with business practices across the industry, the rapid fall from grace from the industry's wonderkind, and the financial losses sustained have been a lot for people to bear. While we may indeed find other institutions or investors that were affected by the fallout from the collapse of Alameda and FTX in the coming days, it is unlikely that the industry immediately snaps back from this event. It will likely take several months of price consolidation, business practice adjustment, and perhaps new regulations before investors are comfortable dipping their toes in the crypto waters again. We do think the long-term benefits of the technology have not changed, but in an unfortunate, ironic twist, the technology designed to eliminate the need for financial intermediaries continues to be adversely affected by the operators of poorly operated financial intermediaries. We hope that the industry learns from these mistakes and builds a safer environment for all participants. Sincerely, the Nidig team. All right, let's take a quick break, hit our sponsor, and then I want to have a short guy's take on this piece. There's a reason you want to get your cold card early. You want to already have your cold card and already be holding your keys. Because when the storm comes, like the collapse of FTX and Alameda, the mempool literally explodes with people trying to withdraw their coins. And we have seen exactly that right now. But it is never too late. Get yourself a cold card. Get yourself one of any of the amazing Bitcoin hardware security solutions from CoinKite.com and hold your freaking keys. This is how you weather storms like this. This is how you get to watch these things with popcorn, you know, comfortably sitting from your home and not stressing like crazy because you're using a custodian. You hold your keys. You know Bitcoin is going to keep printing blocks. You know your cold card is going to keep it safe while you're watching the crypto world fall apart. And luckily, you can get 5% off with code BITCOINAUDIBLE, all one word, and it's a way to support this show. Let them know I sent you by going to guyswan.com slash cold card. Hold your own freaking keys. Put them in cold storage. Get them on your cold card. And then come back here and keep learning with Bitcoin Audible. All right. So <clears throat> this whole thing has been quite the episode. Um, it's, it's interesting. 
to see, you know, particularly with like last, yesterday's episode with Alan Farrington, which I've, if you haven't listened to it, How Crypto is Peak Silicon Valley, um, it is a phenomenal piece. And, you know, Ross Stevens, uh, Ross Stevens is a really, really calm and kind dude. And, you know, his preface to this, um, his intro part of this piece, you know, I go back and forth sometimes, like, I particularly in person, you know, it's hard to on Twitter. Twitter, you get sucked into the just like trashing people um, ethos, so to speak. Um, Twitter is anything but a nice place. It is, it's made for trolling and aggressively uh, criticizing people. And, you know, it's also designed to find the most triggering things. So it, it puts um, polar opposite ideas in clashing with each other. So everybody essentially responds personally to basically everything that everybody posts on Twitter. So it's a weird environment for public discourse. Um, but I'm not like, you know, sometimes I'm very, very supportive of just kind of saying it like it is and being offensive. I think being offensive is a very useful thing sometimes in the world. And then being nice and you know, being empathetic is also a very useful tool. It's about when you use them. Now, I go back and forth sometimes. I'm sure there are numerous episodes where I've viciously defended the, like, just going hard at uh, everybody in these sorts of situations. Not necessarily in the fallout of FTX or Alameda, but more in more specifically when they're being promoted, right? Is you're promoting a scammer. Like this, this needs to be criticized. This needs to be called out. But there's an element, you know, Ross kind of starts this out by saying, take this time to be kind. And there's a piece of me that says, nah, let him have it. <laughs> but then there's also a piece of me that knows there's a kind of quiet power in not saying I told you so when it's so clear that you were correct. Now, there are some people, especially those who are still basically defending and excusing a lot of what has happened and a lot of their promotions and that sort of thing and acting aghast that, you know, they took tons of money and were promoting all of this and from like BitBoy aggressively promoted FTT in like a couple of different videos I saw, sh I saw shared, um, which, oh, Jesus, you know, and, you know, maybe this is just part of like the crypto ethos but the culture over there is so like, like there's like the culture is broken like that that's i feel like this is nothing but fiat culture extended into the copycat space of bitcoin but on that note i think a lot of us a lot of bitcoiners um and very few bitcoin maxis in the last couple of years did not receive the astounding benefit of those who came before and did get wiped out in shitcoins and the crypto space. And I traded shitcoins and I got blasted back in, you know, was it 2017 when I got like really wiped out in just a couple of un incredibly, incredibly stupid plays. And I thought I was going to trade my way to so many more Bitcoin and I tried so, I, I came up with the most pretzeled logic as to how I could excuse um, what I was, you know, the shit coins that I was buying and why they were going to pump and why they might actually have a future, which was actually the completely wrong take because I was trying to find like, quote unquote, legitimate projects rather than just the hyped projects. Um, and in doing so, I missed out on the ones that actually would have pumped. Um, and I should have known. I, I should have known for a number of different reasons, but the number one reason is that I would never, I never told anybody. Like, I was not promoting it. I had, I wouldn't share it anywhere. I never retweeted it. Um, maybe, actually, I probably liked a tweet or something, but I, 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 remember, I remember every time I was in that position where I could have, I felt dirty. And that should have been a major, major signal that something was not wrong, that I, I felt incongruous with what I was doing. Uh, such that if I'm not going to publicly share or talk about what I'm doing, then it's something I just shouldn't be doing if I'm, if I'm that embarrassed by it. So I think there's an element of particularly the customers of FTX and the crypto people who came in and were, you know, fleeced by a bunch of crypto people. 
They got roped in by the crypto arguments and all the ridiculous criticisms of Bitcoin and the, the logic of why crypto is the future and Bitcoin is the MySpace. I give them a lot of leeway because I understand that perspective and there's, there's only a degree, you know, we are a product of the information we have access to. And there's only so much that some of those people can do, but we hope that they actually learn from this disaster. But they are least likely to learn from people that they hate, from people that are openly aggressive or insulting to them. And I think there's something to say for having a little bit of empathy for the people that have gotten rug pulled by this whole disaster and the culture of crypto. You know, that's why we are, that's why you're toxic during the bull markets is the goal is to save those people. So now is the time to get through to them. But like I said, there are, there is a subset that deserve to absolutely be called out for the crap that they pulled and the support and promotion that they gave to such a ridiculous scam. And you know, it's crazy too. Like FTT, like the FTT token, when they own almost, when they hold almost all of the token themselves, they can essentially wash trade and make the FTT price whatever the hell they want it to be. The trading happens on their plat. The dominant trading happens on their platform. It's actually a wonderful, like really, really succinct and brilliant analogy from uh, from Lynn Alden on this one. So I'm actually going to read this tweet really quick. All right. So imagine McDonald's makes its own money. Let's call them clown bucks. Keeps most of them and sells some to the market. McDonald's then uses their remaining clown bucks as collateral for actual loans. And then people remember clown bucks aren't real. And then Starbucks comes and market sells the clown bucks they were holding while reminding the market that clown bucks aren't really a thing. McDonald's balance sheet is trashed with their clown bucks wiped out. Anyway, that's what happened in crypto land this week. This is such a good analogy or breakdown on what is happening with these issued, um, these issued tokens from these centralized exchanges and understand when they're using these things as collateral, it means that like particularly going back to the example of why FTX could literally wash trade and make it appear as if FTT was worth essentially any price that they really wanted it to. Um, and essentially only if liquidity or not liquidity, but only if the amount being dumped greatly exaggerated their ability to do this in the short term would it essentially break the appearance of liquidity and market cap that this thing had so i want to hit alameda's balance sheet that is posted in this and uh there's where is the ftx balance sheet too now alameda's ftt position sole position so every time they basically went into a handful of different like balance sheet things they actually posted what uh what had been posted in the Coindesk article. Um, but let's just go back. It looks like FTT doesn't have one posted. But here's the Alameda's balance sheet. It says, as of 6.30, so this was, you know, a handful of months ago, um, and 6.30, 2022, and these are in the millions of dollars. So unlocked FTT is $3.6 billion, or 3660 4 million, Crypto held is 3370 FTT collateral is 2160 or $2.16 billion. We'll get to the, the situation here in just a second. Investments in equities, 2000 Locked soul, $863 million. Unlocked soul, 292 Cash, 134 Soul collateral, 41 Unidentified assets, 2000 Total assets are supposedly $14.6 billion. Liabilities is $7.4 billion in debt. Locked FTT is $292. Unidentified liabilities $308. Total liabilities $8 billion. So supposedly this is $6.6 billion in uh, equity with $10,000 or $10 billion in unreflected assets. Now, why does this look like, why is this such a disaster? It appears that they're like super over collateralized, right? 
Well, in unlocked FTT, they have $3.66 billion worth. In FTT collateral, they have $2.16 billion. That is $5.8 billion. The market cap of the FTT token at this time was $3 billion. And they were holding $5.8 billion as collateral as if they could get this out of the token when they needed to to cover customer deposits. It was total, absolute vaporware. They were running on ni- about $90 million worth of daily liquidity. They couldn't have sold $10 million worth without just blasting through the order books and starting a crash. And consider, and other people have confirmed this, I guess it's still just rumors until we know more, but it looks like they have no Bitcoin. Of all the people that trade on that platform, of all the people that think they have Bitcoin balances on FTX, they were holding almost nothing. And the craziest thing is how it shows how unbelievably dishonest and just incompetent the mainstream media is that Bloomberg, Forbes, the New York Times, or that they're in on something, or that Sam Bankman is actually like a freaking plant, that he was just a money laundering scheme that a ton of politicians, I mean, he was on the stage with, I don't, I don't really know about the um, uh, the situation here, I haven't really looked into it, so this is total speculation, but he was actually on, on stage and talking with Bill Clinton Um, So who knows who he's connected to from a political sense and the fact that there were so many mainstream articles that just kissed his ass, talked about what a hero he was and how he was such an ethical entrepreneur and that, you know, he was doing this for the greater good, not for profit. Um, And then he's the second largest, like, you know, shortly after, like right after starting up FTX, that there's this explosive... Uh, you know, rise to success um, and there's tons of money going through his exchange and then suddenly he's taking all of this money essentially, like allegedly customer funds and donating it to the Democratic campaign and he's the second largest donor right behind Soros? Like, come on, that doesn't, if that doesn't stink to high heaven, I don't know what does. And again, I haven't actually confirmed this um, and I do want to, I have I've collected a hell of a lot of links Um, But this is a podcast, this is time for speculation, so know that none of this is confirmed and this could all be utter crap. But um, someone was posting and showing that there were actually Ukrainian funds um, that were sent to FTX that then potentially made it to the Democratic Party. That there is actually an indication that there may be a political money laundering scheme that had gone through FTX. And they were either a convenient patsy, um, that they were essentially like, okay, well we'll just... We'll just use this until the gig is up, or uh, or there was actually there was actually some degree of purpose purposefulness to this entire situation. Um, there's loose connections with the WEF and uh, and his mother. So if you want to go diving into that, that might be something to check out. I want to explore it a little bit more. Um, I'm certainly not saying one way or the other, but there's there's a very simple narrative. And in my opinion, is not actually so absurd. Um, you know, politicians and just government, our government is responsible for way, way worse and blatantly corrupt actions and endeavors. Um, I mean, essentially, you know, there would have been, we, we know of multiple explicit false flag attacks where they actually killed American citizens or killed um, American soldiers more specifically. Our government... So the idea that it's like totally unbelievable or crazy conspiracy theory is like, hey, what do you know about the history of our government? You know, like this would actually be kind of on the lower end of some of the horrible corruption and ridiculous crap that they're up to on a regular basis. And considering these are literally fiat practices that, that I mean, this is how the banking system works. You know, Farrington's piece is a great, great explanation or extension of that concept is that these, th- this is fractional reserve. Like this is, this is the degree of leverage that normal banks have. It's just that they're, they're supported by false interest rates, by bailouts, and by a lender of last resort, by essentially money printing. 
It's just that these backstops essentially don't exist in the Bitcoin space. If you have a bank run, you're screwed if you don't have the funds. And there's so much there's only so much fake liquidity that you can uh, that you can muster when you have 5.8 billion dollars in supposed assets based on a coin that has a market cap of 3.3 and barely enough liquidity to get in the low millions out of your supposedly 5,800 million of collateral for all of your customer funds. Like, like how can you be more in the hole? And it's just, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. This is why you stay away from this stuff, you know? Like people constantly say it's like, oh, this is a problem with centralized exchanges. No, this is a problem with the crypto mindset. You know, DeFi is just absolutely flooded with using some illiquid crap token to use as collateral to trade some other illiquid crap token and to arbitrage yield between token printing. That's the same thing. And I don't know of a single DeFi project that doesn't sell a token to to supposedly prop up the infrastructure of its exchange. Maybe this is a good time to promote uh, On Impossible Things Before Breakfast, which was written by Ross Stevens, Nick Carter, and actually Alan Farrington, um, which we've been reading a lot of Alan. I've been, I have been drowned in Alan Farrington and Sasha Myers recently. But this is definitely one to dig back into um, to kind of get an overview and... A, cons- uh, a mental picture of what's happening in DeFi and crypto right now, uh, and particularly from six months ago before so much of this actually blew up. So uh, what, a great, what a great perspective to have of that forward-looking position to, to now look backward and see what it was. I have the link uh, to that piece so you can listen to it and or read it. Um, uh, if you want to do that as a follow-up, if you haven't dug into it yet, or if you just want to refresh it, it's a really, really freaking good piece. But yeah, that might be all I want to say about this right now. Like I said, you know, a lot of that just was speculation on, you know, allegations of connections. Um, and they're loose. You, you know, it's not, there's nothing concrete, but it is something that I'm going to keep an eye out for because it would be so convenient. Um particularly, you know, the White House and or, you know, essentially politicians that have been wanting to heavily regulate uh, the industry and the space, like, uh, really, for a really long time, probably sitting on a thousand page bill that, you know, it's probably, probably the best indication is to see what happens over the next few days. How big of a bill do they push and how quickly and hard do they push it in the fallout of this? But that might not even be like an explicit goal. It might just be kind of like a really, uh, really fortuitous benefit of uh, something that was far simpler is just that VC politicians and TradFi were using their, you know, their connected crypto person uh, as as a way to funnel money. You know, that's not not even slightly I don't know, unrealistic to me. Um, and there's a degree to what was it a conspiracy versus what was it just n- n- traditional finance doing what traditional finance does and politicians doing what politicians do and what avenue do they have to make it work? And FTX was just a really convenient player. So who knows? Who knows? It's something, like I said, it's something to keep an eye on. But it does actually look like, so FTX has, it's so funny as Sam Bankman immediately started posting about how FTX US was fine and this was just their international thing. And it was like less than 12 hours later that FTX US froze withdrawals and filed for bankruptcy. And then he deleted all of his crap. He's been so like, I'm so sorry. Um, and there's a there's a pretty epic um, collection, you know, to, to kind of reiterate the idea that this is a very crypto ethos, that this is this is a financial culture that is pervasive among the entire quote-unquote crypto ecosystem. Is that Vitalik has basically been excusing and apologizing and hasn't really called out, like, he's just been kind of like running defense for SBF this whole time. And honestly, that has me a little bit like, 
oof, what position does he think Ethereum is in? And what does he think the fallout of all of this stuff is going to be if it's, it feels like to me he's laying the groundwork for defending himself when the time comes that he's in the same position. You know, that's, again, that's my perspective. That's my feeling. But I would be, I mean, I am staying the absolute hell away from it, particularly when there is an exploit that has happened from FTX. So they even, it, it's apparent that somebody, or at least it seems to be the case that somebody has actually hacked them during all of this and somebody was actually withdrawing a lot of FTX, excuse me, a lot of um coins from FTX and then transferring them to Ethereum. And there's like, a, I think... Who was it that was keeping track of? I think it was like Dylan LeClaire maybe was was tracking this on the Ethereum chain. And that there's like an account with like $283 million worth of Ethereum or something. And it appears a lot of it was sucked, was siphoned out of FTX. And, uh, and one of the employees at FTX, if all of this wasn't a troll, I don't really know. Um, it looked from, from a brief exploration, it looked like this was in fact an employee and this was actually happening. Um, I guess again, it'll all come out in the wood, uh, come out in the woodwork, you know, in the next week or two. Um, but uh, an employee was actually saying they moved a lot of emergency funds because they were getting, you know, drawn. Uh, there were funds getting drawn from the account, and so they moved it to some emergency account in order to defend what little they had. But the last like OFAC compliant like number like track was that it's like 71% of blocks in proof-of-stake Ethereum are now OFAC compliant. And Ethereum stakers can't withdraw their coins. So they're locked in. Like, there's nothing that can be done about it. In fact, just recently, because at the end of last month, it was announced that um, they're pushing, the Ethereum Foundation is pushing back their date to actually implement the code to make to let stakers withdraw and to change the staking pool. And if they're 71% OFAC compliant, there's zero cost to orphaning the you know 30% or so blocks that aren't OFAC compliant, which means they might just be able to really easily freeze that account to to freeze those those coins from FTX. So this will get really interesting especially as regulators come in and start pointing fingers and, you know, putting up, you know, showing up with guns strapped to them and telling people what to do is what's going to happen with this. What, what is this going to mean for Ethereum? Because Ethereum is like, these things are ERC 20 tokens. Like this is Ethereum. The censorship of Ethereum is going to be brought into question, I think in the next, um, or the censorship resistance. (laughs) Arguably it's already completely brought into question, but I think it's going to be tested and we're going to see the fallout of exactly what proof of stake really means. And what's funny is like, even when you think about it in the context of like 51%, like a 51% attack in proof of work, it at least costs like the huge risk that if you're wrong, you waste enormous amount of resources trying to reorg the chain. And then it comes back against you and fees build up on the quote unquote censored transactions or the, the non-compliant Bitcoin that's being increasingly attempted to be censored from, uh, from being added to the chain. Proof of stake, there's no cost. They can, they can make as many, uh, as many blocks as they want, and if, uh, and if it ends up not working out, they don't, nothing happens. It's proof of stake. They don't, there's no cost to staking. You just, you just keep going. You just have that amount of power. And 71%? No-brainer. It sucks. I really think... Uh, this could be, oh man, this could be a hell of an unraveling. Um, and I also, it sucks so bad because so many people are going to, and are, conflating this with Bitcoin. Which, the only people, the only people that have been calling this out from the beginning, that have been aggressively attacking people for supporting and promoting this stuff, are Bitcoiners. Even the mainstream media has been kissing his ass and talking about how great crypto is. So it's all the more ah, frustrating, so frustrating, that they then be like, Bitcoin and all this stuff is such a scam. It's like, dude, dude, how could you, oh man. 
What a mess. I am just glad that my coins are behind my keys. That I do not have any on exchanges. Swan Bitcoin, my auto withdrawal actually just went through yesterday. And it looks like, and it's because uh, BlockFi got bailed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, somebody confirm if, uh, if I'm speaking wrong. But BlockFi essentially got bailed out by FTX during the Terra Luna, or uh, yeah, yeah, Terra USD Luna fiasco. And there were rumors this morning that BlockFi was going to declare bankruptcy and that withdrawals are being slow. And then there were a couple of posts just literally minutes ago that said BlockFi is declaring bankruptcy. I haven't seen confirmation of it, but I mean, so far, a lot of the rumor mill has just been ahead of the game. So it's very possible. That sucks, you know. Um, I know a lot of people who looked into BlockFi. Um, I know I even considered it. I've told the story quite a few times. Is I even considered getting a Celsius loan um, because I was trying to, you know, do work on the house, and they by far have the best interest rates. And it was funny. I was doing the math on a Celsius loan, a BlockFi loan, a Leaden loan, and an Unchained loan. Um, and Unchained has no affiliation with me, uh, other than the fact that I use their service. Um, but uh, it was so funny. Like I. I spent a little while um, doing the spreadsheet and like thinking really hard and just like fighting with myself on like, is it worth the interest rate? You know, like what's the time frame? And then it was funny. I was ignoring like one of my core heuristics is don't screw around with a service that has a shit coin and Celsius had a shit coin and they by far had the best interest rate and you know, it's like just over collateralized, like super a lot. It gives a crap ton of your Bitcoin. And uh, um, and then after after I was like, you idiot, you absolute idiot, even even entertaining this. And I immediately cascaded all the way down. It's like, well, then BlockFi doesn't make sense because their interest rate isn't that much better. And same with Ledin. Unchained is the only one where I can actually see my coins. Why was how could I possibly be entertaining anything else other than the single service where I don't have the chance of where I'm actually holding one of the keys that I don't have a chance of 100% loss. Like who cares what your 2%, 7%, 11% interest rate is if the trade-off is to quite possibly lose everything and even worse to lose multiples of the value of the loan because you have to be over collateralized. I was like, guy, guy, you absolute dumbass. Now, I didn't really spend that long entertaining it, but I will say that I, I gave it just enough of a consideration that I kind of, that I felt super embarrassed for, for a while after. I was just like, just even the idea of entertaining that, like, how, how much do you know? Guy, you know exactly what this is. How could you have even, how could you have even tried so that's a little, that's a little embarrassing uh, humility that I had to deal with this year. I think I was more, I was, I was beginning to believe that, you know, Bitcoin and traditional finance had merged and there's some degree of like, quote unquote, legitimate services now. And it's so easy to get complacent. It's so easy to get complacent when, you know, you let yourself buy into the feeling of the market. So I can see the mentality that would lead somebody over there. But that's why sometimes you just got to go with heuristics. Like you just got to have a simple rule of you just don't mess with shitcoins because you don't know. You're never going to be able to actually see their balance sheets. Even third-party audits are not reliable. There is no magical proof of reserves protocol because nobody knows what the hell the liabilities are. They could just lie about how much they owe to customers. And anyone, anyone offering, you know, 6% interest, 10% yield on Bitcoin savings should immediately, immediately be considered unless you see exactly what is going on and you know exactly where those funds are going and you're, ho you're holding one of the freaking keys, they're rehypothecating and you have no idea what they're doing on the other side of that. And the likelihood that they're, when they're talking about 6% interest 
The likelihood that they're investing in some DeFi crap that could blow up and they're using it to stake some DeFi token into some other DeFi exchange with like a governance system that's printing, you know, 20% Terra USD or 20% Luna, whatever the hell it was, like some of the returns on that stuff. Of course, like that's, that's what they're doing. They're playing the crypto casino and trying to share some of that percentage with you, which means that if the crypto casino blows up, you don't get any of your stuff because that's where it's locked up. So hopefully that's a little lesson of the many, many, many lessons we have learned over the last six months of uh, staying humble and stacking sats, which thankfully, thankfully, I, uh, I did in fact stick to. And this is why you go with the Bitcoin-only culture. This is why you go with incredibly conservative. This is why the financial practices and the culture are the innovation. They're not, well, they're not the innovation. They're, they're what make the ultimate difference is that Bitcoin's sound monetary base is what changes our behaviors. It's what changes the business practices and the financial practices and basically shows TradFi for the scam that it actually is, for the unsustainable leverage disaster that is only propped up because of the way fiat money works. Bitcoin shines a light on that and says, go ahead and try that shit over here. It's going to turn into a disaster. Every single person who engages in this practice is going to pay the price, and everyone who associates with the people who engage in that practice are also going to pay the price. And it's going to happen over and over and over and over again until people learn that fiat financial practices don't work in a Bitcoin world. And we better learn it sooner rather than later. Ah, <sighs> well, yeah, um... You know, Greg finishes this piece talking about how we're probably going to have a mess of a, of a, you know, market here for a little while. Um, I mean, maybe Bitcoin bounces back, but I don't know. I think we still got, I, I still think we have a lot to unravel in crypto. And I think we're kind of in uncharted waters with how Bitcoin responds to this. Like how much, how much in the crypto space is still basically standing on a foundation of sand and does that money basically flood back into bitcoin as an escape valve um because you know particularly if that problem if the the fallout happens in ethereum i don't think we know what bitcoin will do um and i think the traditional finance image or association with Bitcoin is going to be really hard to overcome. Uh, but man, talk about an opportunity. Um, if it stays in this range for a while, guys, stack like crazy. Stack, withdraw, buy, you know, use your fold card and get all your spins. Get yourself a hardware wallet, get yourself a cold card, and keep keep those keys in your possession. Do not leave this crap on exchanges. You know, this is this is prime time. This this is the time to stack as hard as you can. Get an extra fiat job. Cut your expenses. That's one of the things that I've been doing a lot recently. I am trying to, I've been a little bit strange just because we're trying to expand and doing a lot on the back end with Bitcoin Audible. And so our expenses are actually kind of higher than they've been in a while. They're actually, for the show, higher than they've ever been. Uh, just because I really, I'm really excited. I, I really want to make Bitcoin Audible a lot more than it is right now. I, I think there's a massive potential and so many fun things that I want to explore. But I just can't do it all by myself. I have to expand to make it work. But I've been going through for the past two months, maybe three months, and just cutting everywhere I can cut. Um, so uh, I highly encourage it, you know, cut the fat. This is, this is the time to do this, to, to readjust. Um, get your auto stack at Swan, uh, get your fold card, and make sure that you're stacking that extra 1%, 2% on everything that you do in fiat, and hold your own freaking keys with a cold card. 
what do you know? They're also our sponsors. How freaking convenient. All the fancy links and special places and discount codes can be found right there in the show notes. So check them out. And I hope you guys are safe and not exposed to this mess. Um, And I feel for you if you are. Hopefully this is a lesson. A lesson like so many in this space to teach you to stay humble, stack sats, hold your own keys, and be Bitcoin only. This is Bitcoin Audible, and I will catch you on the next episode. Until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. It is always from a minority acting in ways different from what the majority would prescribe that the majority, in the end, learns to do better. Friedrich August von Hayek This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.